Hey listeners, this is Eli Wisdom from the American Physician Scientists Association. Today's podcast episode is the audio from a recent APSA webinar where we hosted a panel of current dual degree students, all of whom provided valuable and timely answers to a host of various questions regarding dual degree training and applications. Our panelists were Cynthia Tang from the University of Missouri, Sunny Green from the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine, Gina Kovalik from University of Pennsylvania, Maria Huddock from Columbia University, Salvatore Aiello from Chicago Medical School at Rosalind Franklin University, and our moderator for the session was Carrie Davidson from Yale School of Medicine. We hope you enjoy this episode and invite you to keep an eye out for our next live Supporting Applicant Interactive series by following us on Twitter and Instagram at the handles below in the show notes. Welcome to the Double Docs Podcast, a podcast devoted to exploring the MDPhD journey of UCLA Caltech med students. In this podcast, we share our views and discuss things we find interesting. These are not meant to be recommendations or medical advice. These are solely our opinions and experiences and not representative of those views expressed by any affiliate institution. We started this podcast in order to introduce people to MDPhD programs, provide insight on how to apply, talk about what the journey looks like, and what your career options look like after. What is the single thing, if you can name a single thing that's helped you the most in getting to where you are today? If I had to pick a single thing, I think the biggest one for me is, I might have more than one, but the the main one for me is to learning to communicate with different people. Um, and realizing that not everyone communicates the same way. And this sounds very straightforward, but you don't always realize that when you communicate with different people and then um, realize that there are some challenges with that. And that goes with patients, it goes with PIs, people you work with. Um, so that that's probably one of the big ones. And then just being able to express what you do and what you're looking for, I think has helped me a lot. Um, For me, I would say um, working with having really good mentors and people to look up to, especially in the physician scientist path, um, has been really excellent. And, um, you know, having PIs and people who really believe in me, even when I'm not like sure if I can do this path, if I'm like capable of this, like to get you through the imposter syndrome, people who really um, invest in you um, as a student, as a researcher, um, those are, I think, it's really gotten me to where I am. And I think also kind of going back to the question about if the physician scientist path is right for you, I would definitely recommend talking to some people in the path. Maybe, I mean, you're here at this panel, which is great, but some, maybe some people who are, you know, professors who are maybe PIs that are physician scientists and what um, they think the PhD did for them. Um, And then talking to people in maybe other research fields as well, I think can be really, really great and really helpful. Thank you guys. Um, So we're going to kind of move and shift gears a bit to kind of some general questions about life as an MD-PhD. So moving a bit away from the application process. Um, 
And so on a lot of the the people's minds right now is kind of having an idea of what does your day-to-day life look like um, as an MD-PhD trainee, right? Um, And so how about, I think we have a few different stages on the chat today. Um, So I'm actually going to ask you guys to like all kind of give briefly, right, what your day-to-day looks like. Um, And so how about we start with Sal kind of, and we'll go backwards maybe. (laughs) Uh, Sure. So um, I guess right now with clinical stuff, it's like you get up, uh, I liken it to, um, okay. So you get up and you go to like your clinical stuff and depending on the rotation, you do some pre-rounding. So you get on your, um, uh, electronic medical record and you look up the patients, see if anything changed from the night before, and then you go and tell your residents and then, um, you go and wave your attendings and then you'll round on your patients. And that's generally what it is for most services. Um, and so that's where you spend most of your time. And I have downloaded like uh, UWorld, which is a question app. And so I do that on my phone when there's downtime. Um, and then you get home and you're exhausted and you look at your computer and you think, do I do some questions or do I make dinner and go to sleep? And that's generally my day to day. And then uh, it's not as bad as um, like M1, M2. I, I hang out with my friends a lot more. Weekends are pretty relaxed where I see family, hang out with friends uh, and generally do stuff. So it's definitely much more relaxed than your first two years where you're just studying constantly. Um, and being in the clinic and seeing like working with patients and working with uh, residents and attendings is it's much better. Um, definitely. Um, and then for graduate school, real quick, graduate school for me was when I had experiments, I was there and I was working hard and then I'd go home and I'd not worry about grad school at all. And I'd take weekends off and um, grad school was more relaxed in terms of the hours spent doing stuff, but far more taxing mentally on will this project work and how much writing do I have to do? Will this ever end? <laughs> so it's the day-to-day is not as bad, but it's the general conception of the PhD that's much more taxing. Awesome. Thank you. Cynthia, do you want to give us a spiel? Sure. Um, I agree. Grad school for me is this is probably the best work-life balance, the healthiest work-life balance I've ever had in my life. Um Day-to-day will sound a little boring. I've finished my classes, so now it's just focusing on research. And as a computational person, I'm pretty much just sitting behind a computer um, all day. Um, And then, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, I will say hobbies have become really important for me. (laughs) And during COVID, I've developed quite a few. So that's been really healthy for me. And I that's something I kind of... um, which I would have done during the first years of med school as well is just making like carving out time and keep really protected time for something fun. Yeah, um, grad school, it's great. Work, my work life balance. There's honestly been days that I like, such as today, when I show up to work at eleven and I leave at five. <laughs> but uh, it definitely comes in waves, and I think like you know I showed up to work at eleven and I left at five because we had a three day long animal procedure before that where like you just don't leave the hospital. <laughs> And uh, yeah, but I think I think it's like kind of been nice in that like you one of like one of the fears or concerns or like things that might be up in the air is like, yeah, this is like an eight year long commitment. Um, and so you're you're going through your life then and like most of us are in our like 20s to 30s and like 
you're like defining your young adulthood. And um, it's kind of nice to like, I thought that it'd just be constant grind. And then I was like giving something up and actually you're not, your life continues. And I feel like I've actually had some time. Med school pushed me to, to develop in a lot of ways and like empathizing with the people that I was meeting and across, you know, both in staff and patients. And then um, grad school has allowed me to step back and like have some more time to focus on I don't have any immediate rewards from my work and I probably won't for the next like several years. So um, I'm allowed time now to like reap the rewards of the relationships and really invest time in like my friends again, my family and my hobbies. And I didn't know I was going to get to do this. This is great. (laughs) Thank you, Uh, Sunny. Other than the existential dread that comes with like having no feedback from your work for several years. Yeah. Um, for me, I'm at the very beginning. Um, so it's, it's really just med school classes for me. Um, I have class usually from eight to noon and then Miami lets us have our afternoons to decide how we devote that to studying. Um, for me, uh, because I've been out of school for a while, I'm realizing I need to relearn how to, uh, study, um, if that makes sense. And that some of the ways I used to study in undergrad and in high school aren't necessarily the most efficient um, for the faster paced uh, and volume of information in med school classes. And so um, my weeks are really just learning information, figuring out how to study, and then an exam every two weeks. Um, so it's not really uh, flexible <laughs> as far as like lab work. Um, so I'm also adjusting to that because I also, like uh, Maria said, like sometimes I would, in the lab, I would have days of it's very relaxed and then some days are busier, which is different than kind of the constant trying to like drink from the proverbial fire hose of med school classes. Um, so that's kind of, that's where I'm at. It's uh, just learning how to uh, get my feet under me as I begin med school classes Um, And what I'm coming across now is that I'm realizing because I've been in research so long, kind of my research brain almost gets in the way of my med student brain because my research brain wants to know absolutely everything about anything, um, which is not going to be the most efficient when it comes to medical school. So thanks, Sunny. And Gina, what does your day to day look like? Yeah, I also just started. So it's pretty similar to Sunny um, trying to. learn how to study in med school. It's different from undergrad, um, taking a lot of courses at once and trying to, you know, come home and study more and trying to balance it all. So kind of trying out different methods. Um, But basically it's a mix for me of um, lectures and like small group learning classes, which has been nice. Um, I am basically a med student. We have like one kind of journal club type class um, that's like MD-PhD specific. That's kind of the only thing that's different from a typical um, med student schedule. Um, But yeah, otherwise, you know, trying to find time to um, manage relationships, manage hobbies, manage, um, you know, life outside of med school, I think is something I'm trying to balance. Um, Still figuring it out, but seems like there's some um, more time in the grad school phase. So you guys are giving me a lot of of hope. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you, Gina. Um, and so I think to to help Gina, Sonny, and even myself as an M2, um, Maria, Cynthia, and Salas is kind of a question for you. But I guess if you could back in your year one and two, so your preclinical years, how do you how did you guys manage, you know, 
balance work life kind of everything and kind of doing hobbies back then I know some of you mentioned you do a lot of hobbies now during your PhD but back then how was that balance what did that look like for you guys for me um kind of what I said before is just prioritizing it and just scheduling that when you make your schedule schedule in an afternoon where you're just um spending time with family or friends or something, making sure that you carve in time that for things that are important to you outside of medicine um, and almost make it non-negotiable to where you make sure that the things that make you happy stay in your life. Um, there wasn't a ton of balance, uh, I would say. So I think Cynthia, Maria, maybe you guys had it, but I had step one and it was a numerical score. Um, so like life for me was wake up. Maybe it was, I was actually in a very strict routine because the routine was the only thing that allowed me to have sanity in a weird way. I would wake up, work out, and then, um, either do lectures for the day or do like questions until noon. And then in the afternoon I would study, uh, like go over the questions and then I would do kind of like group questions with like three or four friends that I had. And that was like, that was the majority of my life for three or four months during M2 year. And then the rest of the time was a variation on that, but just like in whatever block we were in. Um, so there wasn't a lot of balance and that's why getting into the graduates like phase, it was amazing to have time. Uh, like I was talking with Maria, I started reading. Um, I learned how to play hockey and um, did some other stuff and just like visited friends and went on trips. Um, so yeah, it's hard to really have balance during your first two years. Um, but it's also important to find ways to keep your mental health good. And, uh, for me, that was the routine and exercising and eating right. Um, yeah, so this, it's tough. There's not really a, there's, there's not, it's hard to have balance, I would say. I agree. I think I also had very minimal balance. Um, <laughs> but I think the best advice I ever got was from my older N3 roommate at the time. And she said, like, the work is going to be out of your control. The, you know, cha the chaotic factors of just being in the hospital are going to be out of your control. The only thing that you can control is your body. Um, and so therefore, start with sleep, eating right exercise if you can. Um, and that is like, if you you can't control the panic thoughts in your mind all the time too, and the anxiety. So all the external factors out of your control, your mind, sometimes you can't help, but be panicked, but take care of your body first. And the rest will be easier to, uh, manage to react to. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, do I wish I had better balance during the first year, um, or year or two? Yes. Um, but I think that also I was really absorbed in, in the world of medicine and like at the time, like all of my friends, you know, were in med school too. And so they're all going through it. And so I think studying with people and then like, I'm also fairly introverted, not being with people when I didn't want to be was, was good. Um, just finding a healthy balance there. But like, I think, um, don't, it is very, very hard, but like, don't be so afraid because you also like, you're, you're going to have your med school classmates and like a lot of them become great friends. I've like, feel like I've been extraordinarily fortunate in that. Like, I really, really love my med school class. They're all wonderful people. Um, 
And uh, so I think like, you're not going through it alone. Um, but yeah, I, I, I actually like, I don't feel like I had balance, but somehow I still weirdly wish I had put in more work because step one was like the most miserable experience of my life. <laughs> step one for a score. Um, don't worry, it's pass fail now. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, and I think like it was also nicely just a plug for pass fail programs. Columbia's pass fail for the first year, year and a half. And that, that also was like a little bit helping to ease the sanity for those who are not in pass fail programs. I, I like, I give you credit, <laughs> but I also hope that like, you know, it's kind of like, if you, the other thing to realize is like, if you needed to know hundred percent of this information to be like a good doctor, they, they wouldn't let you move on through. <laughs> so it's, it's okay to like, you make multiple passes through this um, curriculum so many times and then you go and forget it all in grad school like me um, and, and then you're going to come back to it and so um, I think just like learn to forgive yourself too so that's that's my two sorry my rambling um, two pieces of advice is like one first take care of your body and then second forgive yourself it, it will be okay yeah I just want to oh sorry go ahead um, I just wanted to say it like when Maria's saying I had great friends and I leaned on my classmates. Um, we all leaned on each other. Um, and like our study breaks, you know, we would just, we had like a ping pong table and we just like stand around the ping pong table. And um, I think you can't get through it alone or you shouldn't try to. Um, and definitely the, the pass fail made it much more of a collaborative effort where it was like, we all got to do this together. Um, and if you help each other out, you're just in a better state altogether. So everyone benefits from that. I agree with leaning on your friends and finding your community. I will also say, I remember first year of med school, I was getting advice from so many different people and so many different resources were being, I felt like was being thrown at me um, and pick and choose what you listen to and stick to what works for you. Like, it's really easy to hear that someone's doing, using this resource, and then you start adding that onto your pile and you start adding a bunch of stuff and that's not great. So stick to what you know, stick to what works for you. Um, don't, you don't need to listen to everybody. Awesome. Thank you guys. Um, and so I think like during the the process, even from applying to, I guess, even graduating from the MD PhD years later, we all evolve, I think, as students and as learners, where we learn different ways to study has been mentioned. Um, and so there are a few kind of questions about specific interests that you came into the program with and kind of people are asking about if I have interest in public health research or basic science research, um, can it be a red flag? Some people have heard it's a red flag to kind of have multiple different interests kind of coming into the programs. Um, so I think so that's kind of a two part question. But as for the first part, Sunny and Gina, did you guys feel like you had specific interests coming into the programs? And did you feel like the interviewers are kind of wanting you to give a specific interest when it came to applying? Um, I did have specific interests um, based on my previous experience and research. I knew that I was really interested in neuroscience and genetics, and I still am. Um, but I don't think my interviewers ever felt like I had to come in knowing what I wanted to do. Um, I think most, almost, I think all my interviewers, um, if I did say I had an interest, they'd be like, oh, why? Um, and honestly, a lot of them wanted to check that I would be able to keep an open mind if there was something else that I was interested in. Um, 
but they know that you're here for training and they know that you're here for a while. And so I think you don't have to know immediately what you want to do. Do know that you're interested in science and that you like science and you enjoy it. You want to do the research and you want to treat patients, but you don't have to know what you want to do specifically. Yeah. I also had, um, particular interests, um, but I, I don't think that's necessary. Um, and you can definitely change your mind once you're in the program. I kind of, I feel like I realized this later on in the process because I think schools try and match you up with um, interviewing with professors that have similar interests to you. Or when they're, if you get to the point of recruitment, they're recruiting you with professors who might have similar interests to you. Um, but to some extent, that doesn't matter because you're going to go to a probably a research heavy institution. There's going to be a ton of great people. And it's, you know, you're, your like playground basically to go around and find like the people who and the research that really fits you. Um, so yeah. And then I also wanted to add that. Um, yeah. I think there was something about masters or something in public about public health. There, there's definitely programs that are more friendly towards um, non-traditional applicants. So people um, interested in anthropology and um, global health um, in like history of science um, so there's a few schools that are um, more more um, prepared to support those students. I think maybe more and more schools are like looking to recruit non-traditional students, um, but those are also, you know, really valuable perspectives. And I think it goes into, you know, finding a good match for you that, of a school that has all the resources for your interests, be them broad, even if they're not, you know, traditional like bench science research. Awesome. Thank you, guys. And then for Maria and Cynthia, a question that's come in as well is, as you've kind of gone through um, so far, how have you explored, I guess, different clinical interests? How have you gained kind of a broad exposure um, to different clinical aspects of, of medicine? Um, so I guess I'm still exploring. <laughs> I think that like you can learn a lot from shadowing. However, um, I feel like a lot of shadowing experience is often limited to clinic or um, the OR. And for some reason, I, at least I didn't, maybe others have different experiences, but like, I actually like had no exposure to inpatient medicine, um, which is like, so there's three different environments. Inpatient is people who are staying overnight, multiple nights at the hospital. Um, and then clinic is, you know, the, kind of like your doctor's checkup when you go visit you know, you go in and you leave a half hour later or several hours later if you're waiting. Um, and then the OR, um, because I think a lot of people have an initial interest in surgery or at least want to explore that or see that. Um, I think like when I was young, I thought that I wanted to do surgery. So I shadowed a lot in surgery, kind of realized it wasn't for me. Um, also because I want to do primarily research. And so um, the surgeon scientist pathway is extraordinarily demanding, um, can totally be done, but like also wasn't really what I wanted to commit to. <laughs> and, um, and, and then, um, then you go through it again in med school. And I have, like I, I mentioned, I did pediatrics and neurology rotations. And then in our pediatrics rotation, adult ENT was built in. And then in our neurology rotation, we actually have three weeks of surgical subspecialties. So it was neurosurgery, urological surgery, and orthopedic surgery. Don't ask me how that fits with neurology, <laughs> but, um, I think that was like a good initial exploration. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of things when I go through my other clinical rotations, like internal medicine, OB-GYN, um, surgery. 
but um yeah i think i'm still learning but i was actually surprised because a specialty that i had ruled out in my shadowing experience which was neurology um i i actually did my neurology rotation before the phd because they told us to do rotations that we didn't really want to go into um before your phd so you don't have like you're not looking for letters of recommendation like five years later um, so I did neuro because I wanted to get out of the way and I didn't think I want to do it. Now I think I want to apply into neuro. <laughs> so, um, you know, I don't know. I think, I think everybody's mind changes a lot and you, uh, it's, it's good if you can get diversity in your shadowing experiences when you, um, when you're thinking about applying, especially because I think that I, I, the, one of the main reasons why I didn't want to go into medical school was because I was. I, I just wasn't in love with like the way that the people I'd met thus far treated patients and the interactions I'd seen. It was like, no, 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 like this isn't really what I want to be part of. Um, and then it was like one person that I happened to work with and well, two people, I guess, who really inspired me and changed. I was like, this is what medicine should look like. Um, so uh, yeah, I, th I think it's not super important to get a huge diversity before you apply, but as long as you find something you like and you're convinced that you want to be part of it, but if you can, it's a good thing. And you'll just continue to get that experience throughout medical school. If you guys are listening in and think of any interesting questions that you would like to ask, please email us at doubledocspodcast at gmail.com or reach out over social media.